Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 16. We are on our very last session of our creation seminar, just taking science and logic and putting them together to see that the Bible was true after all and that we can trust it. In our last session, we began a little series talking about the dangers of evolution, that every philosophy, every thought, every doctrine leads somewhere. And that when you're studying what to believe and why, that is always something you have to take in consideration. What is is the end result thereof. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 16. The book of Proverbs 16, and notice with me in verse 25, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 20, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please just give us grace once again as we open up the Bible, that we go through this time of history, and that we could see where the end result of this is. That when people go away from you, they think they're doing what's right, but the end result is death and destruction and hurt for so many people. Help us to make a choice to stay alongside with your word, knowing that you're true and faithful in everything. Lord, fill me with your spirit and guide and direct me the way that you see fit. It'd be an encouragement to each of these folks here tonight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, as we had started off last time, that we explained why evolution is dangerous, that we had explained before that evolution is based off of lies alone and showed different lies in the textbooks and showed many mistakes that they know is being taught incorrectly, but they teach it anyways because it's the only basis that keeps evolution afloat. We covered last time that evolution gets rid of morality, that when you take God out of the equation, you have no moral compass. And what ends up happening is that people determine what's right and wrong. And we see a culture going into chaos because it doesn't have a standard of morality. In addition, we saw it's the foundational philosophy for humanism. The idea that man is the center of all creation and that everything has to answer to man. We saw that it is the foundational principle for racism. And we took a long time talking about this last time, that evolution was that basis for it. Now, if you don't mind, tonight, we're going to start, as we continue on, that evolution is dangerous because it is the foundational philosophy for Nazism. What do we mean by this? Mussolini was an Italian dictator and he was influenced by evolution. He taught that Italians were the superior race, so much so that he was going to use Italy to help take over the world. And so in October 3rd of 1935, Benito Mussolini went and took 100,000 Italian soldiers to attack Ethiopia. 
And what he did is that even though Emperor Haile Cilicia had about half a million men, many of them were new recruits and had spears and bows. How long would they last against a modern army? Not long at all. And so with tanks and airplanes, the Italians easily slaughtered the Ethiopians just to show that they were the master race as they began to take things over. Well, of course, Mussolini did not take over the world, but he became good friends with a young uh, dictator by the name of Hitler. And through Hitler, Mussolini saw his opportunity to help take over the world. Hitler had other plans and was going to use Mussolini and the Italians as a pawn in his desire to take over the world because he believed that the Germans were the superior race and that they deserved to take over the world. The German Fuhrer has constantly sought to make the practice of Germany conform to the theory of evolution. There is so many examples. Uh, the thing about World War II, it is one of the most documented wars. They, the uh, Nazis kept all kinds of records. And throughout their records, they kept meticulous things showing how they believed evolutionary thought. And they tried to conform the practice of uh, Nazism and teaching to everyone else conform to the theory of evolution. The German philosopher Idrich Fromm observed, if Hitler believed in anything at all, it was in the laws of evolution, which justified and sanctified his actions, especially his cruelties. A direct line runs from Darwin through the father of the eugenics movement, who happened to be Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, to the extermination camps of Nazi Europe. Very much so, Darwin was a direct line to the concentration camps and the theory of evolution. Hitler said, our enemies are little worms. Close your hearts to pity, act brutally. The stronger man is right. Which is again, the idea of evolution that the strongest are ones who deserve to survive. Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, was full of his racist philosophy. Hitler's mind was captivated, captivated with evolutionary thinking, probably since the time he was a boy. Since he was a boy, he had been taught evolution. Evolutionary ideas all lie at the basis of the worst of his book. By the way, people shouldn't have been surprised with what Hitler did. He wrote what he was going to do in a book and followed it page by page by page, even to the idea of taking over the world. He said, this is exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. Now, Hitler... He tried to find a different way to get rid of the Jewish people. He offered to send the Jewish people out of Germany and put them on luxury liners and send them to any country that would take them. Even the United States refused to take the Jewish people. And they said, nope, you deal with them yourself. Well, he decided, well, there's no other job to do but to kill them. But he had offered to get rid of the Jews any way he possibly could before turning to what they called the final solution. <laughs> In his book, this is a quote from um, Hitler's book, he said, no more, than no more than nature desires the mating of weaker with stronger individuals, even less does she desire the blending of higher with the lower race. And he said, we do everything we can do to protect the mingling of Aryan blood. Now, Hitler was actually developed a list based off of evolution to show which is the most evolved species. His list went with the idea of North 
Nordic, the blonde hair, blue eye. That was as close to pure human as you could possibly get. Followed by the Germanic people, the brown hair, blue eye, or the last desirable brown eyes. They're, they're mostly human. Um, they're great. Then you have the Mediterranean and so on. Then you went to the Oriental, the Black African, and the very bottom of the list was the Jewish people, which was close to pure ape. By the way, when Hitler started, the Jewish people were not part of this hit list. This was something that developed a little bit later. In fact, the, one of the great uh, propaganda picture, uh, pictures to join the Nazi army, to join the German army, that guy was half Jewish their big Nazi campaign thing. It was only later on that he switched gears to the idea of targeting the Jewish people. Jesse Owens in 1936 was the American uh, athlete sent to the Olympics, which happened to be held in Berlin. Adolf Hitler was upset. He said, it is not fair to allow my humans run against this ape. He was not happy at all. Jesse Owens won the gold in his Olympic events, beat the Germans out. Hitler was not happy. Jesse Owens went and spoke about this later. He says, I wasn't invited to shake hands with Hitler, but I wasn't invited to the White House either to shake hands with the president. He says, it's all right with me. I didn't go to Berlin to shake hands with him anyways. All I know is I'm here and Hitler's not. Good. Now, during World War II, a Polish salesman working for a chemical company sold cyanide, which specifically was Zyklon B, to the Nazis to help exterminate the Jews from Auschwitz. After the war, he feared for the Catholic Church and became a priest in 1946 to help bolster up the Catholic Church. In 1958, he was ordained as Poland's youngest bishop. In 1978, he became John Paul II, the leader of the Catholic Church. Did you know that he sold cyanide to the Germans to help get rid of the Jewish people? Interesting. That makes a nice pope, doesn't it? All because of the idea of evolution. In 1936, the German Supreme Court refused to recognize Jews living in Germany as persons in the legal sense. That they ruled that... <laughs> that Jewish people were no longer classified as human. Therefore, they don't pertain under the laws. So because of that, the Jewish people were killed in horrible, horrible ways. All because they were considered not to be human anymore. Horrible atrocities that were done. Here's a rally in Nuremberg. Now these rallies that... <coughs> Hitler put together was put together for a specific reason. Why? Hitler strove to make the individual feel small and expendable and make the cause seem great. By the way, this is the same mentality used in environmental movement today is to make humans still look small and the cause seem great. And we need to do everything we can to help the cause. Hitler fully understood the importance of indoctrinating the youth of Germany with Nazi philosophy and of Aryan supremacy. They would put together little uh, youth movements ca or called the Hitler Youth and they would teach them evolution and they would teach them the Nazi philosophy and teach the young people from an early age about how they need to protect the fatherland by using evolutionary principles. 
Hitler stressed and singled out the idea that biological evolution was the most forceful weapon against traditional religion. By the way, we agree with that statement. Evolution is the biggest fight against biblical Christianity. Still is today. He says, I regard Christianity as the most fatal, seductive lie that ever exists. He didn't believe the Bible whatsoever. If you've never read this book, Hitler's Cross, I encourage everyone to read it. Because this book explains about the Hitler movement, how it was put together, the thought behind it. But it also explains the idea of where were the Christians at in Hitler's time right then? The Christians were taught in order to be a good Christian, you need to be a good German. And if you're going to be a good German, you need to obey the state. Because of this, the Christians just allowed Hitler to do whatever they wanted. For example, what would happen is that they would find out the times of the trains running by that had the Jewish people by it. Uh, running through it. And so in order to uh, drown out the cries for help for the Jewish people, they would plan their church song services during that time. And they would sing as loud as they could so they couldn't hear the cries from help from the Jewish people stuck in the trains going to the concentration camps. Horrible, horrible time. I encourage you to read this book and see how America is following suit once again. Now, Hitler did not believe in God and he didn't believe in the Bible. However, in order to pacify the people who classified themselves as either Christian or Catholic, they took propaganda pictures like this all the time to try to show that Hitler was a God-fearing Christian. Hitler loved to quote scripture. I have a message somewhere that says, Hitler quotes more scripture than you. He quoted scripture all the time. He'd love to use the Bible to twist it out of its context to try to show people that his way was right. And most people thought Hitler was a good Christian. He was not. What they did do is they took over the churches and instead of having a biblical baptism, you would be baptized into the Nazi party. Instead of um, having... Um, a Bible, they got rid of the Bibles and they replaced it with Hitler's book, Mein Kampf. And you would go and worship the state and pledge your allegiance to Germany, the fatherland, as a good Christian. Hitler said that if you tell the lie long enough, loud enough, and often enough, the people will believe it. By the way, that's exactly what's happened to evolution, is that people have said it long enough, loud enough, and often enough, that most people just believe evolution just because that's what they had been taught. He also said that people are most likely to believe a big lie than a small one. So might as well tell a big lie, people will be more apt to believe it. And that's exactly what he did to get his way all throughout his reign as chancellor and dictator. Now for more details of how the theory of evolution affected the philosophy of Hitler and the Nazis, I, you need to read this book of Hitler and the Nazi Darwinian worldview. And what it does is it just chapter after chapter to show you his influences, to show you directly how evolution went to his thinking and the scientists that surrounded about it and America's influence upon his thinking and the research that we were doing in eugenics at the time. Now the Japanese also were taught that they were evolved further and therefore the superior races. The Japanese scientists had produced studies decrying the apish physical features of other races. For example, our hairiness. That if you're white and you're hairy all over, that proves that you're closer to ape. 
uh, <laughs> the long arms, the highly evolved characteristics of the Japanese, which had a di different body odor that proves that they're more evolved. And so they were taught this and taught that the Americans that were over in, um, <coughs> in the uh, South Pacific that they were less involved. So therefore the Japanese can do whatever they could with the Americans and the other people over there. The surprise attack on Pearl Harbor had many causes, but one major underlying factor was the evolutionary thinking of the Japanese people. And that was documented as well. The Bataan death marches, if you never studied this in history, in the Philippines was an awful, awful time. The Japanese treated American and British soldiers horribly because they thought they were an inferior species. So they thought they could do whatever they wanted with them. It was at the place where if an American happened to have a watch that said made in, in Japan, the Japanese would automatically assume that the American had stolen it and they would kill that American who owned that watch and take the watch back. During those death marches, they forced them without food and water, and if you fell aside, they would shoot you just to keep the thing marching. It was a horrible, horrible time as uh, the Japanese, and by the way, if I remember correctly to this day, the Japanese have never acknowledged or apologized for the, Depan, uh, the Bataan death marches. A very big, horrible time in history. Why would they apologize? They're just killing pests and infestation. Now we covered a little bit here that evolution is dangerous because it is the foundational philosophy for Nazism. But in addition, it is also the foundational philosophy for communism. Without evolution, communism cannot exist. Communism is based off the evolutionary theory that removes God from authority and puts man in his place. Now, what is the idea of communism? Communism, at its basis, says that the problem with man, the problem with our society is that man is not equal. So therefore, in order to achieve peace, you need to make everyone equal. That there should be equal in pay, equal in gender, equal in education, equal in uh, consequences equal all across the board. And that if everyone has the same thing, has access to the same thing, everyone would be happy because you wouldn't have to envy people's prob uh, property problems or things you don't have. What it takes out of the equation is that men are sinners. Now, communism takes socialism to another step by saying that it is the state that is the highest authority and they should determine how equality is dished out. They determine how to make people equal. And communism is a failed theory just from the start. In fact, the ACLU, the American Communist Lawyers, I mean, the American Civil Liberties Union, they stated, his president says communism is the goal. That the purpose of the ACLU is to install communism everywhere it possibly can through the legal system. Nice. Good. Now, Karl Marx, the inventor of communism, he wrote a beautiful paper at age 17 talking about how much he loved the God. Then he went to college. There at college, he studied philosophy and he turned his back on God. In fact, 75% of all children raised in Christian homes who attend public schools will reject their Christian faith by the first year of college. That philosophy and the evolution will overload people's faith and destroy it. 
Well, Karl Marx came with the idea that my objective in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Everything I'm here to do is to get rid of God and to install capitalism because capitalism is, capitalism is the evil thing. We put communism in its place. Karl Marx based his philosophy of communism on evolution. Darwin's book is very important and serves me as a basis in natural science for the class struggle in history. Karl Marx, in fact, tried to dedicate his book, Da's Capital, to Charles Darwin. At the very top of it, he said to Charles Darwin, sincere admirer, thanks a lot. Darwin said, please don't put my name on your book. I don't want to be associated with it. Karl Marx ended up having six kids. Three of them died of starvation in infancy. Two others committed suicide. When Marx died in 1883, only six people attended his funeral. You say, what happened here? Well, Karl Marx didn't believe in working. So he went to college and said, hey, I like this idea. I think everyone should support me. And so he became a professional bum. He refused to work even to feed his own kids. So his kids starved because he refused to get a job. He would rather think about how to put communism into effect. And he was trying to do all these philosophy studies in order to push communism and get other societies to accept it. That shows a quite winner when you refuse to work. You would rather try to push your theory there and let your kids suffer. Now, Karl Marx came up with a communist manifesto that said, here is how to institute communism into a country. Well, if you don't mind, let's go through here and let's just see what they say. The first idea of the communist manifesto was to abolish private property. That if you want to install communism into a country, you get rid of private property. Don't let people own anything. Let's let the state own everything. Wrong button. New controller, sorry. Now, the Bible is very big uh, that God believes in private property. They had something called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, it was required that everyone's property was returned back to the original owners. Throughout the Bible, it is very, very important to God that people have their own personal property. The Bible talks about every man his vine under his fig tree. Other where it says thine own cistern and thine own well. All throughout it is made a big emphasis of owning private property with the idea that if you own private property, you take care of your property because you own it. Everyone who's ever rented knows there's a difference between renting and owning. You take a lot more responsibility when you own the thing than when you have to expect the landlord to fix it. And yet other societies like the National Audubon Society, the society that studies birds, they say we reject the idea of private property. It needs to belong to the earth. Everyone needs to own it. We'd reject private property. Here is a third a pledge given to a third grade class in Superior, Wisconsin. I pledge allegiance to the world, to care for the earth, the sea, and the air, to honor every living thing with peace and justice everywhere. These are things that kids are being required to make pledges for. So instead of the pledge of allegiance to the United States, they make a pledge to Mother Earth. And there are many such pledges today that many schools are requiring, many public schools are requiring kids to do. 
Now, we know that there are two different basic philosophies. If you take the Bible view and you take the evolution view. And the evolution, the idea of government is that laws come from man's opinion. You get enough men with opinion, you change the laws to match their opinion. It says the rights are granted by the government. The government determines what people can and cannot have and what they can or cannot do. The government should be an all-powerful provider that people need to be learn how to depend upon the government. This kind of sounds familiar today, doesn't it? Now, people like to pledge a true democracy. A true democracy always will fail because not everyone can have their way. That we have to have rules that guard and protect this. Our Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. George Washington said it's impossible to rightly govern without God and without the Bible. You can't have a proper government that runs with moral, um, <coughs> moral principles if you don't have a Bible handy. Daniel Webster, who helped produce the first dictionaries in America, and he was a great statesman. He said, if we abide by the principles taught in our Bible, our country will go on prospering. The idea is that the Bible would produce godly people, and godly people will naturally do what is right. So we know evolution has its thought. What happens when we line things up with creation in the Bible? We understand that laws come from a creator. Therefore, we need to obey what God has to say. The laws don't change based off of opinion. We know that rights are inalienable. If the government grants you rights, that means they could take them away. But if God grants us rights, no one can take those things away. Then the government should be limited to the punishment of evildoers and defense, rather being the savior of all the people. The government is not meant to feed everyone. The government's not meant to take everyone or house everyone. The government's job is to punish evildoers. It is a different philosophy of thought. Now, again, all of that goes into the Communist Manifesto. Uh, while we go through here, I want you to think about how closely we are getting to following this entire manifesto here in America. How about this one? A heavy progressive Ta income tax. For those of us who pay taxes, we have watched those taxes get increased more and more and more. My kids all recently went to work in the last couple of years. And one of the first things they did was like, where'd my money go? The government took it all. Yep. Congratulations. Welcome to life. Uh, it's only going to get worse. That's part of the communist manifesto. Why? Because the government needs more money to take care of the people and be the all knowing benefactor to all of the masses. In addition, abolish the rights of inheritance. Let's get rid of inheritance laws and let's make it so the inheritance actually goes to the state and the state determines what to do with that. That is still things that are in our court today with a very heavy income or inheritance tax that is now given to many estates in different states in our country. The Bible says a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. The idea of inheritance is something that's biblical. And the Communist Manifesto and evolutionary thought wants to take that thought away. How about this? 
the confiscation of property rights. Let's get rid of people's personal rights. Let's take away what they own and let's turn it over to the state. We know that the evolution is, by the way, is the foundational philosophy behind the money powers. Remember the golden rule? The people who own the gold makes the rules. That goes along with this idea of taking away property rights. In addition, a central bank. This is a big deal too. The idea of having a centralized bank that has all of the money under control. The Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. It does not say money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. And there are many people who love money and like to control things with the money. They have the idea that money equals power, which equals what Satan promised, ye shall be as gods. If they have enough money, they control everything. This is exactly the same thing that Satan did, by the way. He said that I am a God. He wanted to be God. The Bible says, thou hast gotten thee riches. Satan thought he had enough riches to be able to rule everything. And Ezekiel, it says, thy heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Satan was full of pride because of his wealth. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is servant of the lender. The golden rule, whoever has the gold, makes the rules. And so once again, putting it to evolutionary thought, that if you have a central bank that controls the money and controls what the value of money and who could have the money, then you have control over the people. Now, (laughs) in the early part of our country, money was labeled a little bit different. Here is an old $5 bill from the early part of the century. Notice it says it's redeemable in gold. Do you know that our money used to be backed up by gold? And that you could be able to take your money and actually turn it in and get gold in return because it was backed by money. All this was, $5 was an IOU that said the government owed you $5 worth of gold and that you could trade with this. In March of 1933, President Franklin D. Roosevelt declared to a Congress of Governors a national state of emergency existed in America in the form and nature of the economy, known as the Great Depression, and that they needed to declare war against this economy threat. The governors voted unanimously to recommend to the U.S. Congress that broad executive powers be granted to the president to wage war on the economic enemy. These powers would not be available under the normal constitution process, meaning they gave the president powers that was not granted to him by the United States uh, Constitution. Congress voted to give the president of the United States and to the Secretary of Treasury, the emergency powers sanction to wage war through executive orders. This is a big deal. The idea of an executive order means that the president, quote unquote, gets to pass a law without going through the proper legal process of passing laws. This idea of executive orders is a very dangerous thing. And we've seen this in politics in the last 20 years now, that if Congress doesn't uh, give the president his way, he'll just bypass Congress and write his own executive order and pass what against the Constitution and legal order and put things across. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle is, if they're doing it, it's going against the Constitution. 
Now, what they did is they modified the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, and it was then admitted that part of the enemies would be citizens of the United States who own gold and silver. You're now considered an enemy of the United States. Do you know that in the United States now it is illegal for you to own gold and silver that is made for money trading? We know that jewelry and all that stuff's all right, but you cannot have bars of gold in your possession. It is now illegal. That's nice to have, right? And thank you, United States. You can't have this as currency. You are an enemy. So what they did is they modified the money. Remember before the $5 bill said it could be traded for gold and silver. Now, you know what the money says? This is legal tender for all debts, public and private, and is redeemable in lawful money. Well, who's determined what lawful money is? It is not gold and silver. It is now backed off of promises. What they've done is they've taken control of the money, and it's now based off of what the government says the money is worth. Vladimir Lenin said the surest way to destroy a nation is to debauch its currency, which is exactly what we're seeing today is our currency is being debauched. And this is a way to open it up a country for communism. By the way, just as interesting note, this here is money that is actual currency and Darwin is on its money. Like we have presidents, they got Darwin. That kind of shows you kind of where their thinking is at. So going back to the Communist Manifesto, not only is there a central bank, but how about this? Government ownership of communication and transportation. Let the government be in charge of what could be on the radio and television and let the government be in control of travel, which by the way, we've seen this very much so. The government could tell you who could fly, who could not fly, who could do this, who could do that. They're in control of all of it. Then we have government ownership of factories and agriculture. This is still a thing where the government is buying up companies. We saw the bailouts. We saw other things where they get stakes into it. We've seen them starting to consolidate farms or pay farmers not to take their milk to market. We, that was, what, a couple years ago where all these Wisconsin farmers had to dump all the milk from their farms and not sell it because the government told them to. That's part of how to, the common, to get communism into a country is have government control over all of these things. Government control of labor. The government tells people where they could work, how they could work, be in control of every aspect of that. We're seeing that being in control. Corporate farms, regional planning. That's very much being in control today. And then free education for all children in public schools. Com combination of education with industrial production. The idea of whoever controls the textbooks controls how people think and act and behave. Adolf Hitler said, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. He knew very much how important it was to get a hold of the young minds so that way they could think along him. The Bible says in Genesis 3, 5, where Satan is giving these promises, talking about secret knowledge, he says, your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Did we get cut off, man? Good. All right. <laughs> good. 
Now, Martin Luther, the reformer, said, I am much afraid that schools will prove to be the great gates to hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of youth. I advise no one, no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not increasingly occupied with the word of God must become corrupt. He said this in the 1500s, and it is more true now than ever before. That today's public education system, before I could be tolerant of it, today I could not recommend anyone put their kids inside of a public school. I could not recommend it at all. Unless you want your kids to grow up to be corrupt and hating God, do not put them in public schools. In 1777, this was a New England primer. I have a couple copies at home. These were used in American public, private, semi-private home and dame parochial schools until the 1900s. This is a first grade textbook. Let's see why you could tell why some kids went to college at 12 to 14 years of age. Let's see what they were taught at first grade. Here it says learning the alphabet. A, in Adam's fall, we send all. B, heaven define the Bible mind. So it went through the alphabet, teaching them Bible principles using the alphabet. What else did they learn in here? Well, they had lessons for youth using the alphabet. A wife maketh a, uh, uh, sorry, a wife's son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Now, this is first grade. In the first grade, they were teaching them how to follow the Bible. By the way, by the 1700s, 1700s, by the time a kid was four years old, they could read the Bible from cover to cover. Why? Because if people knew what the Bible said, they could not be deceived. Today, we have people graduating high school that cannot read their own diploma. And if they cannot read, they will not read the Bible. And if they will not read the Bible, they could be deceived by the state and others. This is a spiritual war. Again, the public education system does not teach them to read well enough where they could want to read the Bible for themselves. We know that communism is anti-Christian in every way. So here is the communist rules for revolution. How do we get a revolution going? Well, let's see if we could follow this through. By the way, these rules were found by the Allied forces in Germany in 1919 during World War I, right after the communist takeover of Russia in 1918. So here's what they said how to spark a revolution. First of all, corrupt the young. Get them away from religion. Let's do everything we can to get the young people not to be interested in the Bible, in church, or in God. Break down the old moral virtues. Well, that is very much happening within our culture right now. Let's get rid of the old ways. Let's have our own revolution of morals and we determine what's right. Encourage civil disorders and a soft attitude, government attitude towards crime. Anybody say 2020. 
We saw that very much happening where people could riot, burn down entire cities and nothing happened to them. But you let some officer give a public opinion and public opinion be a mistake and that officer is charged whether he's guilty or not and lose everything. The government doesn't punish crime now. It is amazing that officers can arrest a drug dealer, have tons of drugs found on them, and all they get is parole. And they just go back and do the same thing. It is a very soft attitude towards crime held by our government today. Divide the people into hostile groups, race, religion, etc. Do we have a nation divided today? Absolutely. It is divided so horribly with no way of reconciliation at this point. That's part of how to get a revolution going inside of a nation. Get people's mind off of their government by focusing their attention on athletics, sex, and etc. Do very much people rather watch television and horrible stuff on YouTube than find out what's in the government? Absolutely. Let's take something like this. Here's an advertisement for a 50-inch TV. It says, football is religion. Build a nice church by this TV. Hey, I think uh, that would be very popular in the Green Bay area. People have built a lot of nice churches for their religion going on. What about this idea here? Get control of all media. If you don't think the government has control of all media, then you've been missing something. They very much control what could be on TV, what cannot be on TV, what's approved, what's not approved. This is how to get people to think only one way. Destroy people's faith in their leaders. All right, let's not do a show of hands. Right now it looks like if things are going on, the two people running for president is President Biden or former President Trump. Anyone have confidence in either two of them? No, not really. <laughs> not with everything that's going on. And yet those are the two best candidates we can get going on? Do people have confidence in their leaders? Not at all. I mean, you go all the way up to the Bill Clinton era with his uh, debauchery inside of the White House. Did people look down on the presidency because of the things done with him? Absolutely. And it has not improved since then. It's just gone downhill after conspiracy, after scandal, after this, after this. People don't have confidence in any of their governmental leaders. You go ahead and name a leader and we're like, uh, we're not very trustworthy of anything they said. We have lots of people that if we had um, some senators come in, if we had some congressmen come in and they told us something, we wouldn't even believe anything they said. We have no confidence in it whatsoever. Uh, that's part of their agenda in order to have a communist revolution. We don't trust them. Let's overthrow this whole thing. I don't know about you, but I hear people talk about, let's just scrap the whole thing and start all over. That's what they want. Because are they going to give us something better than our constitution? They are not. Stalin said this, those who cast the votes decide nothing. Those who count the votes decide everything. And again, conspiracy theory or not, it's always interesting how they found all those votes at two o'clock in the morning. You say, well, that was legit. Okay, but it's really suspicious, especially if we know their agenda of what they want to get accomplished. Interesting. How about this? Cause the registration of all firearms to eventually confiscate. You said you're turning political. No, I'm being realistic. You understand that 
every dictator has put gun control laws. Lenin said it this way, one person with a gun can control 100 people without a gun. Every dictator has put gun control together. To protect their people, they let's confiscate the guns and make it so only the bad guys have them. Or I mean the government have them. Same thing. Understand that gun control is not about guns, but it's all about control. Now, Stalin is interesting too. At a very early age, while still a pupil at ecclesiastical, that's a religious school, Comrade Stalin developed a critical mind and revolutionary statements. He began to read Darwin and became an atheist. Isn't it amazing all of these people that started off with some type of religious background that as soon as they got a hold of, hold of Darwin or evolution, they turned their thinking around. It is scary to look at it. By the way, that's what's being taught in public schools and inside of colleges. We need to be very, very careful with their line of thinking. This is the book that changed the philosophy of Joseph Stalin, Darwin's book, Origin of Species. And so how did old Uncle Joe turn out? Well, he killed 60 to 100 million of his own people. We often look at Hitler and say, oh man, what a great atrocities, 8 million people. That's a drop in the bucket compared to what Stalin did. And yet Stalin was celebrated when he died, good old Uncle Joe. Stalin, of course, was given a pass when the invasion of Poland happened, which started World War II. What happened is that Hitler and Stalin came up with an agreement and said, all right, uh, Russia gets this part, uh, Germany gets this part, and we went to war with Germany and did nothing about Stalin. We called him an ally. And uh, again, it was part of the politics of the time, but they didn't say anything about Stalin's part of the invasion of Poland. And yet he was very much a part of it. Joseph Stalin ordered the execution of Polish officers. Uh, and if you've never read the book, The Long Walk, that's another interesting story, a true story of the things that happened to the Polish officers uh, under the Russian uh, domains. Pol Pot, who was a communist dictator in Cambodia. He executed a million of his own people. He killed one third of the entire population, all because of the sake of communism and getting control of that nation. When the communists took over China in 1949, they began to execute Christians at the rate of 15,000 Christians every month. Before uh, the communist reign of China, that there was lots of Christians living in China. But the communists made it so it was illegal and they killed them all. By the way, if you are a Christian in China today, if you're not in a registered church, you are still an enemy of the state and they still kill Christians in China today because it's against the communist thinking. Mao uh, Seung murdered 60 million of the people. He lists Darwin and Huxley, who is Darwin's bulldog, as his two favorite authors. My two favorite authors is evolution, and I'm basing my whole lane of, line of thought based off of them. Now, we understand very clearly that evolution is the foundational thought for communism. But it is also the foundational philosophy for Satan's upcoming new world order. 
Satan is, has every plan to take over the world. And we know during the tribulation he's going to do that. He's putting the places into uh, <coughs> order right now. And he's trying to do it. We know that the problem started 6,000 years ago when Lucifer decided that he should be God. However, the job wasn't available to him. The Bible says that Lucifer was found perfect in thy ways since thou was created. Remember, Satan was created until iniquity was found in thee. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. It's and thou shalt corrupt it wisdom by the reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold them. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How thou art cut down to the ground, which thou did weakenst the nation. You know, Satan has a specific promise for him in the future. And this promise comes because Satan wanted the job of him being God. In the Bible's in the Bible says in Isaiah 14, all these I wills of Satan, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that shall see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man? You know, Satan and all of his plans to take over the world, one day he's going to be brought down in chains and we're going to look at him and say, this is it? Thought he'd be taller. This is it? This is the guy that's troubled everyone for six? This is it? And of course, Satan is going to look very small compared to God and compared to what God is doing. But Satan is still very much in charge trying to get his plans across. We just have to be on the winning side. Now, while Satan and his followers are making their plans to rule the world, God is in heaven laughing. We read this passage before in Sunday school. Let's get it again. The Bible says in Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from it. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Satan is doing everything he can to put all of his plans in place. And that men are trying to do everything they can to rebel against God and to overthrow God's rule. And you know what God's response is? He's laughing. Why is he laughing? Because he's in control. We are looking at our internet, we look at television, we look at the news, and we go, what in the world's going on? But let me remind you that God is not up in heaven rubbing his head and saying, man, what am I going to do? God is not pacing back and forth in his throne room saying, man, I didn't see this coming. God is not wringing his hands saying, oh man, they've gotten together, there's no way I'm going to defeat them. You know what he's doing? He's sitting on his throne. And as he's watching man trying to do everything he can to overthrow God, God's laughing and saying, you guys are foolish. God is very much in control. And he's not worried about anything that men can do. They can get together all they want, but they cannot overthrow God. Satan can do everything he wants, but he cannot overthrow God. A lot of the things that are going on that may worry us, God's laughing at and saying, what? What are you guys doing? What are you thinking? How's this even going to work? What, what, what? God's looking at him laughing. I'm thankful that we could be on God's side and we don't have to be worried about things either. 
If you're interested about more about the spiritual war, you could read Henry Morris's book about the long war against God and see the history of evolutionary thought and its devastating effects over the last 6,000 years. Again, any philosophy, any doctrine that we study, you need to find where does it lead? What is the end result thereof? Evolution is one of those things. Where does it lead this line of thinking? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot abide forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Evolution does not bring forth good fruit. Therefore, we can conclude it's not from a good tree. It's not something you want to eat from. So what should we do? Easy. Exactly what Jesus already told us to do. What did he tell us to do? Well, in Colossians 3.1, he said, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on the things of the earth. What should be the things that we're doing? Is keeping our eyes and our hearts upon God. Loving what God wants us to love. If you don't love your Bible, there's something wrong. If you don't love assembling with God's people, there's something wrong. We should love the things that God loves and have our affection on those. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but that of the world. Part of our problem and why a lot of these philosophies could take place is because we love ourselves too much and we love the world. And we don't love God and the things that he loves. We don't put him above and seek those things. The Bible says in that passage, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You could spend a lot of time building a football team, but it's the things that we do for God that will last forever. People could spend a lot of time going to a Super Bowl, but in several years' time, most people except for sports nerds are going to remember who won a Super Bowl. But the things that we do for God, they will last forever. Those are the things that are worth doing. So with that, where is your affection Where is your heart? Where is your mind? Where's your goals? Where's your desire? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530 6308. Once again, that number is 920 920- 
480-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.